Hello, I'm Ayofel Larinde. I'm a visual artist and photographer from Nigeria, Lagos precisely. Welcome and thanks for making time for this conversation. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Andile. It's good to be here. Awesome. And where are you right now? And I ask you not to be nosy, but just because you happen to be somewhere interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm actually currently at my studio in Anthony Village, um, Lagos, Nigeria. And paint us a picture or talk us through what's around you, if you don't mind. Um, so I have I have paintings here, of course. I have um, I have my dogs, two dogs, Blue and Lulu. Um, they are sleeping. Okay, Blue is actually awake right now. And then I have art materials, pretty much. Yeah. And in your case, what are those materials? What do you work in? Um, I work with um, ink and acrylic mostly, although my favorite uh, medium is uh, um, oil pastels. I love oil pastels a lot. I try to like um, use them in my works, even though I don't really need them all the time. Uh, yeah, I also work digitally too, on my laptops and on my phones. Yeah. And so where does microbiology feature in all this? Because <laughs> I didn't hear you... <laughs> Included in your self-intro. <laughs> okay, so microbiology actually uh, was, wasn't was entirely my decision. Uh, my parents wanted me to study medicine in school. And um, <laughs> I was I was hesitant in a way. And then I told them I wasn't going to do that. So we had to like find a balance. I wanted to do arts. So we had to find a balance. I'm like, I'm not doing medicine. That's a seven-year course. So I was like, I would rather do a four-year course. So I just went online, searched for a four-year course in my school. And I saw microbiology. Ta-da! <laughs> So I picked it <laughs> and then, yeah, my parents let me rest. Yeah. Awesome. And you're at the tail end of studying towards this degree. Oh, yeah, I'm already done. I just took some extra courses because they wanted it. So <laughs> my parents are both from science fields. I see. So they persist in, uh, I don't know, um, trying to lean into you being a medical professional of some kind? Well, actually, I think part of it was also my mistakes. Growing up, I always told my mom, um, whenever I found out that she needed something or she was going through something, I would tell her that, yo, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that. So, for example, when she's sick, I'll be like, I'm going to be a doctor in the future. So I would have to like treat you whenever you're sick. You'll never have to fall sick again. And then when she says she wants say eight hours, I'll be like, I'm going to be a civil engineer. So that, so basically they thought I really had dreams to become a doctor. So, um, it kind of like impacted their, in Nigeria, we call it ginger. I kind of gingered them to push me to actually go study medicine. And then when I tried to inform them that you are not actually interested in this anymore, I want to do arts. My mom thought I was crazy. <laughs> right. Yeah. So basically you seeded those expectations in your parents. Yeah, in a way, actually, in a way. But I mean, this, this was like years, years, years before. They definitely saw that I like to draw, but they probably didn't pay attention. Well, those seeds are turning into trees right now, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd like to believe that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you can think back to when you would say that to your to your mom, was it about being able to help them economically or was it how much of that was Iron Faith talking about her passions in life? Okay, most of the most of the reasons why I was bringing up those ideas and stuff was mostly because of some personal stuff going on in my house at the time. Um, my dad now is actually my stepdad, so I grew up in a polygamous home and there were lots of drama in there. So I just wanted to like 
create solutions. I hated seeing my mom sad and stuff like that, you guess. So I would rather not delve into that now, but it was mostly because of um, personal history and stuff. Then, yeah, I wasn't really speaking about it passionately. Growing up, I wanted to be so many things. It was just um, in my university days, I actually started realizing that, yo, I actually would like to do arts. I mean, when I was in arts, I didn't know I could do it. People had to tell me that, yo, you're good at these things. And then I realized that it was something I would always do when I feel something, be it happiness, be it sadness, be it anger, you get, yeah. So it was in the process I realized that this is actually my for life thing. And so when did this get serious? Because looking at your career sort of start to take off, it really does feel like I have, in this case, a front row seat to watching a star um, take flight. Honestly, it, it feels that way, like looking at your work and... Um, you know, and I don't mean this in in a condescending manner, but uh, there's a certain maturity to your art and a certain specificity and confidence in the way you express yourself in your art that, you know, suggests that, you know, you're taking this seriously. And if, if we are wise, those of us taking in your art would do well to take you seriously. So when... When did this become serious for you? I think art became serious to me at like different points in my life. But I would say that um, I actually felt it more in 2017. Um, 2015, I started taking it seriously for the sake of, oh, yeah, I want to be an artist. I didn't know why exactly I wanted to be an artist. But in 2017, I felt more connected. I started to understand my whys more. I realized that it was more like a therapeutic process for me also. Like I mentioned initially, like I art is something that I do, um, whether I'm sad, angry, irritated. It's just my own means of communication, so to speak. You get so like in 2017, I started to understand the reason I actually do it. When I'm frustrated, I started scribble arts from frustration. Initially, I was a pencil artist, and then in the process of that, I became a scribble artist. I started making Jaga Jaga arts, um, that is making um, art from like crooked lines, putting them together, bringing, um, uh, making perfection, or basically just making beauty from imperfections. Rather, my my works are my works are based on flaws and self acceptance. You get so it was more like a process of me accepting who I am, who I am truly. You get so in 2017, I started accepting myself. Yeah, so like that was the point where I started taking art seriously. It's more like that confidence grew from there. I was too shy before. Wow. I was I was hiding things. You get so wow. in 2017 I became more intentional about my works. Yeah, and I'm still on that path. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. So I didn't mean to pry earlier when I asked you to sort of reflect on the promises you made your mother about what you would become as a grown-up, right? I was just picking up on on something I relate to as a young African creative with African parents. Yeah. Um, and African parents always have expectations. Yeah. Um, for better or for worse, for the most part, the expectation is that they will raise a child who will go on to be happy and well and to be healthy and safe, but also wealthy <laughs> so <Yeah>. that, <laughs> you know, they don't have to suffer like, you know, the, the previous generation did. And so given that, how do you reconcile 
your desire to be creative. And when you think about being serious as an artist, how much does the economics of it impact the way you operate as an artist? Um, is this based on like how I sell my works or generally the econ- yeah, so, economics of my country? So maybe it's both. I mean, I, I know some hardcore artists who hate the idea of ever having to sell their work, you know, and they have a really, there's a tension there. The fact that they actually have to part with their work in order to make a living is is a painful part of the process, which they might accept or or reject. And, and, and some might even live in abject poverty, even if they could be very wealthy, just because they don't want to taint this beautiful thing they have. Um, at the same time, you know, we're in Africa and we have to eat and, you know, we sometimes have to study microbiology just to just to keep our parents happy. <laughs> I wonder how you think about your art and the economics of art. I know you definitely have work that's commissioned. I know that you sell it. We're going to talk about NFTs in a while. But how do you reconcile your desire and passion for creativity with the economics of what is essentially a business. Okay, well, um, initially, like I mentioned, um, it wasn't really about like the money for me. I just wanted to create. It was just my hunger to create. Um, so on the side, I knew that I started off with this idea that art won't fetch me money because that was the idea my parents put in my head that you can't have a career as an artist anywhere, like anywhere around the world you get, even mostly in Nigeria, because most times they look at roadside artists and then when, when you say artist over here, they think of roadside artists first and then they don't want me to be that. And then, so, so I started art based on, well, I love doing this thing. It helps me, right? Let me just continue. So on the side, I was doing like some other side jobs. I was working as a photographer. I still work as a photographer on the side. I was taking some marketing jobs and stuff. And then when I was able to come up with like a capital for myself to start up my art, like seriously, that's to get studio space, to get materials and stuff. Yeah. I would say that I actually like to sell my work sometimes, except those that are like very personal to me. Right. And then it's from selling them that I actually make money to just fend myself do you get so i love to sell my works to um certain collectors because i feel like my work should actually be shared mm, mm. people need to experience mm. it i can't just be the only one taking mm-hmm. it in because sometimes when i create i have a target audience i have people that i'm trying to mm. speak to do you get so if people from that side actually acquire these pieces it makes me happy, you get. But then there are also some works that are very personal that I can't let go. Um, recently I, I I sold a very personal piece that I've been keeping since 2017 to someone because we connected. We literally had similar stories, wow. you get. So in situations like that, money really isn't a factor. Like it's really isn't a factor. I can decide to keep the pieces for as long as I want. But in cases where I'm trying to like pass a message to someone, yes, money is kind of like a factor too because i mean i have to create more works and over here in nigeria yeah i can say that the economics is poor very 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 poor very poor which leads me to another question have you ever sold a work to someone you regret selling it to and why Hmm. yes i've actually sold a work to someone i regret selling it to and this was this was in my early years actually it was a commission 
basically this person just gave me a theme to work with. Okay, he wanted like a particular theme. So I came up, I did my research. I came up with like the works and stuff. So when I was done, I, I was too sad to let it go because at that point they were my favorite pieces. And up until now, I still love them. They're still like in my top five you get of favorite pieces. And then I saw how this person actually handled the piece. It was handled poorly. So I went back to the person's house to deliver another piece and then I saw the other ones and I was just like, oh my God, why did I do this? It wasn't basically just treated as I would have loved it to be treated. So I think that was just the only case I had and I couldn't retrieve it. Because oh. I mean, we didn't sign any contracts at that time. I was too naive, come on. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. yeah, but I was I was really sad and I just told myself at that point that one day I'll be able to buy this piece back. You've cited the economic situation in Nigeria, which is Africa's largest economy and is making headlines around the world right now for um, leading, you know, this massive investment in technology and innovation and the startup landscape, which is, of course, one side of the story. For someone who isn't familiar with the economic situation that you referenced, the tough economic situation I think you're alluding to, in Nigeria right now, you know, give me a sense of what that looks and feels like for you right now today and how it affects your art and your creative process. Hmm. Materials. So most of the materials of myself and a few other artists close to me would like to use are mostly imported, right? And um, say, for example, we normally buy materials at, say, 1,500 Naira, once they are imported already, like through um, wholesalers or retailers, right? Um, we buy 1,500 Naira. Just give it like a few weeks. We realize that those materials aren't selling for 1,500 Naira anymore. They are selling for 5,000 Naira. And this is because the dollar rate has gone high and Naira has dropped drastically. That's really reduced, you guess. So, and for artists to actually earn in Naira, it is very difficult. There are artists to earn in Naira and there are artists to earn in dollars. There are some artists who aren't really exposed to the international market yet. And there are some who are already exposed to the international market. It took some time for me to actually get exposed to the international market. But still, it's not so convenient because buying something that I know was worth lower before is now higher. Do you get like, it's, it's really annoying. And then tomorrow I wake up again and I find out that dollar has gone higher again and that I still crashing. Do you get so like, it really makes it kind of hard. And if I even have to like bring COVID to this case too, I mean, people who don't have enough money can't buy drugs to treat COVID. Sure. Do you get it's that bad. The poor can't treat COVID over here because it's the, the drugs are too expensive. Most of them are imported. And even the ones that are created here, the ones that are manufactured here, that is materials or supplies that are manufactured here in Nigeria, we would always want to attach like a dollar equivalent to it. You get so it's still not easy to buy art materials over here. Like it is one of the hardest things. So most Nigerians here, yeah, myself, I tend to like improvise. Not just because of the economy. I love improvising normally, but also the economy is added to it. When, when stuffs are too expensive, I'd rather just pick out like found materials, use them to create my works. I think it also, it has also created cost and impact on my own personal pieces. Do you mm -hmm. get? Yeah. Wow. 
it's not like I'm trying to like look for the easy way out and wow. stuff. No, I think personally, I enjoy using found materials. It has kind of helped me become more creative and more productive. I suppose otherwise you might be sitting waiting for something to happen, waiting for the right material to come, and your output exactly. your output would, so, would turn into a trickle. Yeah, it it basically just helps me think of okay, this is not working. What can I use that would work and that would also last? That will stand the test of time. Jigger. So, yeah, it helps me use my brain well. <laughs> so do you think about that? What your work will look like or how your work will be enjoyed long after you're gone? Do you think about that a lot? Yes, I actually do. I, I think about I think about how my works will be enjoyed when I'm gone. I, I think most I'm more specific about that, more intentional about that because... I don't just want to die one day and nobody talks about my works anymore. Wow. I always think about that. Even I, aside the um, documenting my works, my process, I'm trying to create, uh, what's that word? An autobiography. Oh, I, wow. Yeah. I think that's what they call it. So yeah. it's a body of work, but but it's autobiographical. It's not just a pile of amazing art. It's It says something about who you are and what mattered to you and what matters to you. Exactly, exactly. Because there might be people um, in the future um, who probably would find themselves in the situation I was in or I am in and would probably need answers or inspiration and stuff. I want them to be able to look at my works, look at my thought process to, yeah, basically just look at my life and hopefully find solutions or hopefully find the light that leads them to their solutions. Yeah, Do you yeah. get? It's just like how I grew up watching Basquiat's documentary, mm -hmm. watch Basquiat, I watch Fida Kahlo. Do you get? So when I need motivation, some kind of motivation sometimes, I go back to those movies, I see their thought process, I see how freely they were able to express themselves. Do you get? Yeah. So like, I, I want to, I want to be that also. Do you yeah. get? It's, it's, up until now, Basquiat still influences my style. Mm. Fida Kahlo still influences my style. Do you get? So it means that they still live on. Yeah. yeah. They are dead, yes, but they still live on. Their work still live on because it's impacting me at this point. Do you get? So that's the same thing I want my, my art to do too. I want people to be able to feel, I want people to feel impacted by them, by, by it. Do you get? Yeah. So that's basically how I see it. And who's buying your art at the moment? Who? Who is your people at the moment? Who's who's getting you? Who's connecting with <laughs> the message you're putting out? Who is supporting the work? Are people buying in because of the message? Are they moved by both the message and the um, aesthetic? Are you meeting these people? I'm asking a lot of questions, but I, they all come down to who's yeah. buying it and why? And, and do you interact with these people to get a sense of why they're buying it? Okay, yeah. Um Realistically speaking, um, I can't speak for all of my collectors, but I can say for most of them, most of them buy for the message and mostly not my own message. They buy because they connect to it on a different level. Yeah. You right. get, right. yeah. I've had people who buy it because it's an IFS piece, but then most of my collectors buy it because of the message and how they connect to it. Sometimes my own message, sometimes how they connect to it. I've had one of my collectors actually cry, and I was wondering because I painted an happy piece and I was wondering what was making her cry about happy piece. And then she just told me that it was a very personal something and she just really connected to it. She reminded her of someone and then that's how she got peace. Mm -hmm. So she always wanted to look at it. 
And it kind of like touched me because I was so excited to actually see that someone could connect to my piece on a different level, could actually see another light to my piece. Do you yeah. get? Most people call it my work because they connect to it either based on um, their own connection or based on my own artist statement. Usually, I don't even like to talk about the reasons I create my work or the um, narratives behind them. I just want people to be able to maybe find themselves. And if they care to know why, I always tell them why. And yeah, yeah I communicate to my collectors too. I like to. Yeah. I always like to. And the good part is that they usually reach out to. Yeah. They, they are also like a part of my life. Mm. Mm. I should also mention that they are... Definitely collectors who just buy for the sake of, okay, I want to just acquire this piece and maybe sell back. It's hard to miss people like that. That's the perfect segue to talking about NFT art, which I think you'll agree is largely driven by a speculative audience and investment mindset, if it will, right? So there's the there's a fear of missing out. There's a there's a sense that if you buy in early, you can cash out with a ridiculous sort of uh, appreciation on your investment. And I imagine there are people who approach your work with that intent. They recognize that you are easily one of the that you are a, you're a sort of a, an artist on the rise and and that there's inherent value from an investment perspective to your art and i wonder if your decision to become an nft artist or participate in that world was motivated by the economics of being an artist who can now secure some sort of agency that maybe artists before never had or is this about ensuring that you know, you somehow retain control of how your art is enjoyed and and who gets to see it. Or maybe it's both, or maybe there are other reasons. Tell me why you're an NFT artist and how the economics of that business compared to painting and selling actual live works. Okay, so there are actually so many reasons why I joined um, the NFT space. Um I'd like to mention that one of the reasons I joined was also because my works was my um, screenshots of my works were stolen by, should I say, an NFT impersonator, so to speak. Wow. So he was taking screenshots from my Instagram and then he built a Twitter account and then he changed the name, he changed the title of my works and he was posting them. He was posting um, his OpenSea, variable links on Twitter, telling them to go buy his NFTs and then... Sometimes he uses them for crowdfunding. Wow. You get. So someone drew my attention to it and asked if I was already an NFT artist. And I'm like, no, I had not joined the space at the time. This was early this year. So he sent me a link to the person's page. I saw it and I really went crazy. So this was where Osinachi came, um, um, came, um, came to help. So I spoke to Osinachi about it and then it was like that it was better I actually joined the space so people are more familiar with my works on that level too you know most people are fam- like i would like to say that some people are familiar with my works traditionally but in the digital space i'm not really my works are not there yet so people would probably not even know my works it's just like how i can see osinachi's piece and I, I know it's osinachi's piece anywhere even if someone is feeling it you get i can always say this is osinachi's piece you get so it was like that one of the solutions is actually to join the space 
mean some works, let people get to know you on that space. So once anybody tries to impersonate you, I mean, it is easy to know because there's just one eye affair. Mm, mm, you mm. get there's just one eye affair. Ascribble is unique and stuff, exactly. Mm. So that was one of the reasons I joined. Then the second reason I joined was because I had a message for people in that space. I realized that there were some tech people who don't really like to visit galleries. They don't appreciate hard copies. And I, I didn't want to be left behind in terms of the world is evolving. Things are mm. changing, right? We don't know where exactly it's going to go to, if it's going to go this way or that way. I think people are just really confused. Mm. I also want to evolve, mm-hmm. right? I want to evolve as the world is evolving. So, And I realized that I started out scribble art digitally before I even started painting on paper, right? So I was like, okay, you know, why don't I actually just give this a try? I think this was when um, the Afrofuturism project came. So it was like the perfect entry point for me to just give it a try and see how it works. So, so you've, you've actually mentioned Osinachi, who I must say is easily one of Africa's leading NFT artists of the moment, your country, your countryman, your compatriot, um, and uh, a friend, and I suppose associate, and I suppose mentor to some degree. And, and then Afrofuture is essentially a blockchain-based project that is looking to promote yeah. uh, African and Africa-focused NFT art and uh, creativity. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So, sorry, I interrupted you. What were you saying? <laughs> yeah, so that was officially how I got into the NFT space. Um, it took some time after uh, my works were stolen. Yeah, I should have mentioned the people who collected the works, yeah, burnt it. They reached out to me. They felt so bad about it, so they burnt it. Wow. Very good to, took the person's account down. So, like, yeah, that was how I was able to just calm down and relax, you get. So, this person had actually impersonated you to the point where they actually sold prints? Sold a lot of prints. Screenshots of my works. Poor quality. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Poor quality. He sold on OpenSea, Rarible. It was, it was crazy. Oh, wow. It was on Twitter I was able to even get people to like report the page and then get Rarible to see it and open see. And then the collectors themselves, they reached out to me. And then they also they also provide the same solution um Osnachi advised. In fact, at some point they were going to start donating money to my wallet and I'm like, no, that yo, I don't this is not about that. I just didn't like the fact that my works were stolen right. uh, in due time I would join the space when I understand it better. So it was through Afrofutures project. I started understanding the space. It's by little. And then I have a particular collector, Michael Ugu. He also like gave me a little bit of understanding of the space too. Right. Yeah. And so give me a sense of where you're at in terms of the economics of your art. Is this something you can live off? You said you have an international profile now. You know, how do you explain this to your parents? Is it like mom, dad, look, <laughs> this thing is a thing. You know, this is serious. Or is it still mom, dad, this is going to be a thing? And NFTs are part of that story. Well, I would say that I didn't have to like even tell my parents that you this is actually a thing for me. They saw it for themselves. So I rebelled and then they started hearing from outside that, yo, your daughter is actually making moves. Yo, I saw on CNN. Yo, I saw on this. Yo, she sold for this, this, for that. You get So like my mom had to come ask me, are you sure you're really doing this art thing? I'm like, yeah, she had to find me to my studio. She thought I was maybe doing something else. 
like how I was making like some little little money. Right, you get right. so she had to find me to the studio and then she realized that yo, she's actually making art and she's getting known for it. Yeah. She's getting she's happy. You get so they started cutting me some slack. So I would say that right now I'm not there yet. I'm still on that path to getting there. So it's still mommy, don't worry. This is going to be a pain. Although I'm comfortable right uh-huh, now. Uh-huh. I know I know landing like a CNN or a BBC for an African parent I think yeah that's very helpful. <laughs> yeah it's it's, it's kind of like a big deal so I think that it's, actually just made them calm down a little. I mean after these exams that I wrote they were like you know what just do you just wow, do that's you amazing. yeah that's amazing. So, yeah. so my last question to you is about how differently you think your life would be if you had not been born in Nigeria. If you had not been born in in Africa, if this story was playing out someplace else in the world that wasn't our homeland, how do you think that would impact your being a creative and a creative in business today? Well, as much as sometimes I playfully say that, yo, I wish I was actually just born somewhere else, right? Because of the old stuff out here in Nigeria. I think I actually like the fact that I was born here because I don't I don't even know what I would have been if I was born somewhere else. I don't know if I would be doing arts, if I would even take my own life seriously. Do you get so I think that Nigeria and the economy actually has kind of impacted um my creativity in terms of storytelling inspirations, motivations, you get like, you wake up today and then you see some someone you don't want to be like, and you see people you actually would like to be like, or levels you'd like to surpass, you get, so like all of these things actually keep mm. me going. So I can imagine if I was born in everything I ever wanted, I don't know how I would lead. So I think I, I, if I'm answering your question right, I think it's a blessing actually that I was born an African and um in Nigeria and there's 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 the ups and downs to it but um yeah like if I answer your question right I think that's how I think I that's actually it. a very African thing to say if I answer your question right that's uh that's straight up how we were raised <laughs> there is a right answer and a wrong answer <laughs> right yeah no you're yeah. giving me a, I, I think a heartfelt answer and I'm privileged to be on the receiving end of it and thank you so much for your time um, the folks listening to this podcast can't see what I'm seeing, which is you um, on my laptop screen, sitting in front of one of your works in the background. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, it's a little bit of a goosebump moment because I, I really do think, yeah, we haven't seen the half of it yet. I think you are a remarkable artist and it's been a privilege to have this conversation. Thank you for making the time for it. <laughs> thanks thanks for having me I, I feel so honored I feel so honored to be speaking to you and um, hopefully those who get to hear me I, I hope they get like inspired and motivated and anticipate my autobiography <laughs> <laughs> in the future yeah I, I, I'm the one documenting That's, myself <laughs> I, was, I was about to say well um, yours is going to be an autobiography of a lifetime because you know you're just going to keep putting it out and I have no doubt that people will keep reading it quote unquote um, yeah i mean this is part of it this is this podcast is actually part of it hopefully people will get yeah. to hear from another part of the world that actually feel connected or maybe get impacted by yeah. it and positively 